Hello, Rank Rats. Today is Friday, February 5th, 2021, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Colorado Hockey Ringcast. Today, we're joined by the host of the Locked On Avalanche podcast, Chris Maselli, and we discuss injuries, the emergence of Bo Byram, and much more Avalanche talk. Let's get right into it. And this week, I'm happy to have Mr. Chris Maselli on board. Uh, you might know him from his work with the Locked On Avalanche podcast. Um, at on his, you know, his Twitter is at l o p n underscore avalanche. All the way from Clifton, New York. Welcome, Chris. How's it going here? How are you, man? It's going Thank great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I love having these type of crosstalk, um, you know, podcasts. And we've we've had a couple of other people on. It's really good to get other people on, get some different minds and different opinions. So definitely happy to have an out-of-stater here. Yeah. Uh, and cross-country, too. So uh, yeah. it just shows you the reach of the Colorado Avalanche. It's, uh, a, it's a close-knit community, I will say that. Yeah, we, we have a gentleman who uh, is on our team, and he's all the way in England, so it's hard for him to watch games. But, really? Uh, I, I thought it was you know difficult with him. For you, it's probably not so bad, but it's a little, uh, a little late sometimes. It's not too bad. I mean, it's this season is a little bit tougher because there there's no East Coast games for the Avalanche. And, you know, playing all of those California teams, sometimes I have some late nights, but um, I don't know. I'm the type of guy that like once a game starts, it it just feels like the middle of the day for me. Like I, I could be I could be like struggling to keep my eyes open and then as soon as the game comes on i am wide awake and wired and it's just it's like just watching a good movie that you just don't fall asleep for it are you a guy who needs to watch the game all the way through no interruptions or are you a highlights guy uh both i i just soak it all in yeah i i don't mind and i will watch to the bitter end even if i know it's a loss like if, if you know those like last 30 seconds you're you gave up the empty net goal or something like that. And it's just, uh, I don't know. I just, to me, it's, th- there's no better sport. Um, and you know, and the way that the avalanche are playing, uh, makes it, you know, that where you just have to tune in all the time. And I just don't want to miss like a second of anything. It's kind of, uh, maybe, I don't know what the obsessive a little bit <laughs> to a, to an extent, but, um, Everybody has their their vices, and for me, it's it's hockey and it's Colorado Avalanche hockey. It's so funny you mentioned that. I, I have two rules when I go to hockey games. First of all, um, in playoff games, you you don't leave your seat. Um, okay. You don't leave early. 
And uh, in overtime, especially in playoff games, there are no bathroom breaks. You got to hold it. Mm, even, I, even that would my be guests. I'm sorry. Yes. Now you're talking when you're in the arena or in at home, arena, or it doesn't matter. In the arena. Well, I would say you could even make that for when you're home, like a bathroom <laughs> break at home. Even though it's a lot shorter distance to the bathroom, I still wouldn't chance that. Unless it's during obviously a commercial break. But even then, I don't know if I would do it because exactly. who knows what's gonna. Yeah, you got to time it right. I agree. Well, I think um, a lot of the people who follow our uh, our blog and some of the stuff we do definitely follow you. Um, and I know you do a, a daily podcast and I really enjoy your feedback on the avalanche and just want to give you a second to kind of talk about what you're doing, um, doing these days. Um, yeah. So as far as the avalanche stuff goes, it's, uh, I, I do, like you said, host a daily podcast for the avalanche through the locked on podcast network. If anybody's not familiar with that, um, we are a daily podcast network. So, uh, every day, Monday through Friday, um, you, you will get a podcast dedicated to whatever team is your favorite team. Like we have, uh, podcasts for all of the four major sports, football, baseball, basketball, and hockey, as well as college sports. Um, and they're 20 to 30 minute episodes. So kind of like great for your commute to work. It's not going to take up most of your day. And um, just signed a pretty big deal with uh, the broadcast company Tegna. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, some people might know them. They, they have a lot of news organizations across the country and we are hooked up with them. So we're going to be kind of diving into the video aspect of things. We already have the obviously audio side of things kind of locked on. <laughs> There's a joke for you. Uh, but so we're kind of slowly shifting into uh, the video world and uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's a lot of fun. There's a, the great, great people, especially it's so weird. Like, you know, hockey is kind of like the redheaded stepchild of, of sports and for like the the lockdown network, you know, you got your football and and basketball and stuff like that. But the hockey hosts and podcast hosts, we just have this massive group chat going, and it's hilarious. And it's just like whatever team you're a part of, and people listening to this are are you know obviously part of an avalanche community, and they probably follow you know you and I on on Twitter, and it's it's just, it's just a different community it's not like there, there's very little like angst you get that in some people but you know i live in new york so i have to deal with you know like yankee fans and knicks fans who have been bitter for the better part of 20 years now so you know what I mean? so i'm used to that stuff and then you know and i've been an avalanche fan since they moved there and i mean if you want a little bit of background on that yeah i i, I live in new york uh, my dad grew up and still is a rangers fan i was Technically, I mean, I, I liked the Rangers, but I never really felt like I was a, a big Rangers fan. And uh, when I, I grew up and I was young, John Elway was a god. And when you're young and impressionable, you kind of follow the stars. So I became a John Elway and a Denver Broncos fan. And then when Colorado got a hockey team, it was like, that's my hockey team. So uh, ever since they moved there, uh, it, it, it's it's been a love affair. And I always say, and it, it always helps when you're that young and in year one, they win the Stanley Cup. So you can brag, you have bragging rights like almost immediately. So that was good. I respect that because the Avalanche had success early, right? 98-01. And there's a lot in between there of, of a lot of nothing. And you've hung with it and you yeah. stayed committed and that's how you got yeah. to do it, right? Well, yeah. I mean, they, they, they've they always 
for the most part, have been a competitive franchise. Yeah, they have a, a dud of a season every once in a while. Who doesn't? But I think uh, they, they, they've always really tried to put a, a good team out on the ice and be competitive. And um, it's not going to go swimmingly every single year, but um, I've always appreciated that. You know what I mean? You, you've never really seen kind of like a fire sale moment come from the avalanche. You haven't really ever seen it that much. So, yeah. uh, and, and I think that goes in line with, I want to say most of Colorado sports, but if you see what the Rockies are doing, that's a disaster. That's, that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but even like following the Denver Broncos, like they, they, they try to, they've had a, a string of, of bad, unsuccessful seasons, uh, but even this year, like they were in it up until maybe what they were, I think they were eliminated with maybe like two weeks left in the season. Like you kind of knew they weren't going to go there, but to the playoffs, but they, they don't just sit back and just say, yeah, we'll see what we can do. They, they put forth the effort and that's kind of really what I like to see in franchises that I follow. It seems like franchises either have the culture or they don't. And there's not a lot of shifting between that. I, I guess I look at football and I see the Steelers, the Broncos, all these different teams, the Patriots of recent, um, Green Bay. All, all the teams just have this kind of upper echelon, um, you know, glow to them. And I think you're right. I think the Avalanche kind of have that too. Um, you know, they, they just kind of seem to be relevant a lot. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought we could jump into some of these stats and a little bit of news and then just talk about the avalanche of late. Um, Let's do it. I think our last podcast, uh, we were three and three in the Honda West division. And I said, wow, what if we won four straight? What if we just <laughs> destroyed the wild? And uh, I think we ended up going three and one. Um, took a game from the Sharks. I guess we took two, but at the time we took one and then two more from the wild. Uh, now the current record is seven, three and one tied for first place with St. Louis with 15 points in that Honda West division, 38 goals for 24 against. Uh, and then we talk about special teams, power play, uh, top 10 in the league, 26.9%. And then that unbelievable penalty kill 89.7. We'll talk about that later. First in the NHL, kind of hard to believe with a couple of, of really key pieces out with injuries, but we'll also get to that. Um, some individual accolades, Phil Grubauer. Wow. Uh, seven and two, uh, nine save percentage and, uh, 1.67 goals against, uh, Miko's having another strong start, um, third in the league, seven goals. And then McKinnon's got 14 points, um, fifth in the NHL and just a couple of news items. Um, everybody knows the, the abs are postponed through February 11th with, uh, COVID restrictions right now. They're going to miss that fourth Minnesota game. Thank God. I was getting a little tired of those guys. Um, <laughs> they miss a series traveling to St. Louis this weekend, I believe. Um, and then an Arizona series at home next week. And then we drop right into four straight with the Vegas golden Knights. It's an absolute showdown, which is going to include, uh, the Tahoe outdoor game in a couple of weeks on that Saturday, which we'll also get to, um, another no notable news item, Devin Tays and wife expecting ba a baby. So congratulations to them. Very so, nice. Mr. Chris, I, I want to start with the blaring question, um, and it's not about uh, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Frosted Flakes. It's, <laughs> why, it's why can't this team stay healthy? This isn't the first time. Last year, it was players, and, and not just any players, but star players going down. 
um, yeah. throughout the season, and they just can't seem to, seem to stay in the lineup. So what is going on here? Is it the trainers? Is it the Denver Air? I mean, what is going on here? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's tough because it's, all of us were so excited uh, when when bubble hockey came around that the Avs were healthy, and then guys go down. And then that season ends, and you know we go into this year, everybody says you're healthy, and you're you're looking forward to this season because you're the odds on favorite and guys start going down. So it's it's just a trend right now for the Avalanche and it's I mean every team gets injured, let's not kid ourselves. But is it like training and and you know being in shape? I don't you look at the injuries and what are trainers really supposed to do with some of the injuries outside of Francois because we haven't really been given an answer as to what's wrong with him. Uh, he hasn't taken the ice at all. So, uh, and with Nathan McKinnon, we really don't know what happened to Nathan McKinnon. It, it, we're assuming it's an on-ice injury, but we don't know if he just turned the wrong way, tweaked something, or was hit. Like, nobody really knows. So those two are the mystery ones. Other than that, um, you know, look at Eric Johnson smacked his face on the ice from a check. You can't. No, nor, no conditioning can help that. Uh, Devon Taves gets a puck off the foot somewhere, you know, on a slap shot. Conditioning is not going to help that. Uh, Calvert, it's just kind of like a hangover from uh, concussions. That's that's not any trainer's fault. So it's, I think it's just the way the game is played. The game is just a fast and furious and and aggressive game, and. I mean, even if Nathan McKinnon, his injury, we don't know what it is, but we do know he is in insane shape. So, I mean, if he were to get hurt just tweaking something, I would just put that on a bizarre injury that Nathan McKinnon suffered, not conditioning, because he's probably the most conditioned athlete definitely on the avalanche and maybe in the sport. So it's just a freaky thing that fans have to deal with we seem to be dealing with it more than others let me get my seat up this way there we go um and yeah i mean i think avalanche fans are just tired of it (laughs) we're just tired of it happening all the time and like you said it's to big name guys who's been spared really between the last year who's been spared from injury outside of you know all your main guys have been injured Goalies have been injured. It's just up and down the line. It's hit everybody. And the one player you didn't mention on that list was Pierre-Edouard Bellamar, who had a really nasty hit. And I was completely shocked when I saw that he was week to week. Yeah, I mean, because he, when he got hit, he stayed there. And when that happens to a hockey player, you know that it's bad. Because they they like to get up on their own power and, and kind of skate off. Uh, you know, with, with maybe with some assistance, but he didn't move. And even when he had help, um, he wasn't putting any pressure on that on that one leg. So that looked scary. And, and yeah, I'm with you. I thought that was going to be maybe season ending. But yeah, it, I think just to make it easy, the Avalanche just went week to week for everybody. I don't think they're, <laughs> they're like we don't have to really explain into detail. So everybody's week to week, upper or lower body injury, and we'll figure it out later. Yeah, hockey's really weird about injuries. I, I don't really get yeah. it. I, I don't really understand the whole gamesmanship. It's 
you know, it's game 12 out of 50 or whatever. And I don't think anyone's scouting, uh, that type of stuff, but maybe they are, um, which, which kind of leads, leads me into the whole McKinnon question. Um, everybody said last year, McKinnon just put the team on his back, which he did. He had an unbelievable high caliber season. Um, but with him sidelined, the question is, can they get by without him? And there's, there's a lot of great players on this team, right? But not maybe to the level where he's at, um, where he just is the type of guy that takes over games. So if you take Nathan McKinnon off of this team, are they still a contender? I, I would imagine so, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, they're, they're a deep team, number one. Uh, number two, they're in a pretty weak division. So I, I think they benefit from that. And all along we've been saying, you know, that the the cream of this uh, division is Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas, and everybody else is fighting for that fourth spot. Last year, you're right, like McKinnon was incredible. And I think as the years go on and we look back, I think him not getting the Hart Trophy will be looked at as, as one of the most uh, sacrilegious things that has happened in in the past decade of the NHL. I think it was, yeah, did Dreisel have a good year? Sure he did. I'm not trying to take that away from him. But how many games did he play with Connor McDavid not on the ice? It was a handful of games. I think it was less than 10. And count the games that Nathan McKinnon had to play without Miko Rantanen or Gabe Landeskog or Burkowski was hurt or you know, like it's insane the amount of games the Avalanche lost to injuries and Nathan McKinnon not only kind of held them above water but almost to the top of the the standings in the league last year you know they, they were fighting with St. Louis for number one in that division and that's because of him so that was last year, but but this year, can they do it? Yeah, definitely, because like I said, they're 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 deeper this year than they were last year, um, and it'll be a different style of game without him. And we saw that in the one game that we that they played without him. Uh, but they 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 will play. They're still a, a speed team, but you you could notice the difference when he wasn't on the ice. One thing that kind of concerned yeah. me was the. Um... You know, the person who immediately was subbing in for him was JT Comfer. And yeah. and I think they really like JT. He's kind of a, you know, yes, I'll do it, you know, jump how high type of guy. And he seems like a really good team player. But it's, you know, you play on the third line for long enough and you forget what it's like to play in a top six role. You're not checking, yeah. you know, you're in offensive zone situations. And it seems like he doesn't want the puck for too long. And I, I don't know if that's a, a med thing in his head or if like, you know, he wants to defer to other people like a lot of young players do. But sometimes I, I just think that he's a little too much of a head case when he gets up there with the big boys. Yeah, that's a good point. It could be. I think he's like kind of uh, just like a little giddy, you know. Um, and I, I kind of liked the move. Uh, you probably had your pick of guys that you could move up there. But I think he did it for a couple of reasons. I think he did it to try to maybe like jumpstart him. You know, you're, you're playing on the number one line. You're playing with uh, Landis Scott and Rantanen. You know, you don't have to overextend yourself. You'll get chances with those guys on the same line and maybe break out of a, a little slump. And I don't think he wanted to break up the second line. I think they finally figured it out. And they were having a, a good series and a, a good stretch of games. 
Um, and he wanted to keep that together and not break up uh, what was going very well with that second line lately. I didn't even have that on my list of questions, but what do you attribute mm-hmm. that to? Because I, I remember a week before they started taking off, it was Bednar saying, look, hey, I'm, I'm bringing you into my office and saying, I need more from you guys. It was Kadri, mm-hmm. Burakovsky, Brandon Saad. Brandon Saad said, okay, I'll uh, score two points in three straight games. Is that enough for you? And he probably <laughs> said, okay. So what what was behind that? Did, he, did they just need a little kick in the behind or what? Yeah, no, I do. I think it was just they needed to get timing down. And uh, I said many times, like, because there was no preseason, like those first six games where they were up and down, they finished three and three, had a good game against St. Louis, then uh, ran into a really good goaltender in uh, Anaheim, but still played pretty well. Um, that was their preseason. Those first six games were their preseason. And then look what happened. Right after that, they started playing well. Bednar moved Kadri down to the third line. And, you know, you if you know Nazem Kadri and him moving down to the third line, I can guarantee you he took that personal. Not He didn't take it out on the coach. He probably understood why and, and was, I say, okay with it because, you know, he wasn't playing well. And it was almost a wake-up call to him. And it only lasted for one game. And the next game, he brought him right back up to the second line, got all those guys back. It was almost like, you know, like, don't make me do that. Don't make me keep doing this. Basically, don't make me send you to your room. You know, and then brought him back up to the second line the next game. And that's when they really exploded. And since then, it's just, I just think they needed to, to work the rust off. That's all they needed to do. One thing I kind of wonder is, you know, I think they really won the with, won the trade with Nazem Kadri. They got a second line center. Mm. They dumped a, you know, a good player in, in uh, Tyson Berry, but some a guy who was probably going to just walk, which he did. Mm. Um, and I wonder, Nazem Kadri's got this year and next year four and a half million. Um, he's got a modified no trade, but after that, you know, I I feel like Nazem Kadri may have been a little bit hindered in Toronto, whereas in, in Colorado, you notice him late in games taking over the game. And it's it's because of a big hit. It's because he puts the puck on net. It's because he's in front of the net. He's just got a nose for being in the right spot when he needs to be. And I'm wondering if uh, Joe Sackick and Jared Bender take a look at him and say, all right, he's going to be 31-32, um, but he's a phenomenal second-line center. He's probably going to want three years do we want to sign this guy? Um, is it someone who you see long-term or do we have more guys in the pipeline? But you know, there's so much de- so many young defensemen. It's, it's hard to say. And, and there's going to be a lot of money tied up in the next few years. But what are your, what are your thoughts on the overall, you know, future for, uh, for Kadri? It, it's a really good question because yeah, there, there's a log jam for the abs in really every position. Uh, so what do you do? They like to stay young. Like you said, he's going to be, 30, 31, 32 or something like that, thinking that in that range when his contract's up. So um, that's not old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but um, the way the way that they're they're constructed is they are a young, fast team. Um, but you you need guys like him on your team. You know what I mean? Like you you don't have a he he basically is your like Nikita Zadorov in terms of he's your not enforcer or anything, but he's your muscle. You know what I mean? Like you don't mess with him, and 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 you didn't do that with Zadorov. Uh, so I don't I don't know where they go. I'm of the mind of, uh, you know, I like him. He's really good for this team. These guys really seem like they're a close knit group of guys. And if you can win a cup 
definitely one. If you win multiple, obviously great. Do you want to break that up? And that's that's would be that'll be the question on the plate of, of Joe Sackett when it, when the time comes. He'll be able to make that decision a little bit easier because the 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 seasons and the postings will have played themselves out by then. So right now it's all just conjecture and, and you know what ifs. Uh, but if the what ifs are, what if they win a cup or two? How do you get rid of the, you know like it's been working and he's not it's not like he's you know Joe Thornton age so. I would say keep it going, and I just like this group of guys, and would like to see him hang around. If if it's working, why stop it? Let's hope we get to that crossroads. <laughs> right, I know you got to get there first. You're right. right. Yeah. So, kind of just getting back to the injury piece, um, there are a lot of players that have gotten opportunities because guys have been out. Um, we've seen Hunter Miska, um, Sherwood, Sheldon Dries, um, Logan O'Connor just got in. Um, mm-hmm. Martin Kaut got it in the Anaheim series. I don't think we've seen Shane Bowers yet, but Jacob McDonald got a little time playing defense and, uh, Jared Bender seemed to like him. Any of these guys seem like keepers for you in, in the NHL? I'm impressed with, with Kiefer Sherwood. I, I think he, he's been playing very well. Um, and he wasn't really on my radar all that much, but, um, I like how he, he plays o- O'Connor's O'Connor's good. I, I really like, I think I like his game. Uh, out of the guys that you, you you mentioned, I think I like his the best. I my question is, where's Martin Cow in all of this stuff? We keep hearing about him and how he's really turned the corner in the AHL. The kind of numbers back it up. When they brought him up last year for those handful of games, he played well. Uh, it took him a, a couple games maybe to get into the flow, but I thought he played he well. And of all these guys that are moving up and down and taxi squad and, and you know, <clears throat> revolving door, he's not been in in it at all. And why? I haven't – and I have not heard to this day why. And they're kind of – they've been doing this with him for a few years. He's always that guy at the trade deadline that they're dang- – not the avalanche, but, you know, fans and media are dangling, saying like, oh, if the avalanche make a deal, Martin Count's got to be involved in it. And they won't pull the trigger on him because they have expectations for him. But why isn't he playing? I don't. I don't know. Uh, that's an interesting one. <clears throat> I love the Jacob McDonald story. I think that's that's awesome. Just you know, when when you get drafted by your favorite team as a kid, and there's a uh, photo evidence to prove it. When you're holding up your Avalanche shirt when you're like 10 years old, uh, to then play for that team, that's. I mean, what's better than that? And played pretty well. I agree with Bar- Jared Bednar. He said he 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 got more minutes than he anticipated because he was actually playing very well in the game. So these are all kind of good problems to have for the Avalanche because we keep talking about their depth. And so far, most of these guys that they're bringing up, some of them are are even like outplaying the guys that have been up there, namely uh, Ryan Graves who just, I don't, I don't know. He doesn't seem to be comfortable at all. You were talking about JT Comfort being uncomfortable uh, with, with the puck. Graves seems like he wants nothing to do with it right now because he feels like he's just going to turn it over. I don't know. I, he, he's a, he's a concern for me. And then uh, Hunter Miska, I, I like what I see. I, you know, I don't, I think he, he could become a pretty good backup. Uh, but I think he might need a little bit of more seasoning. Um, 
outside of the NHL for maybe another season or two. But I mean, as as a backup right now, I think he's he's performed admirably. I got really no big problems with how he's done, but I don't know if he could last a full season. Swinging back to the McDonald uh, conversation, I mm. I had a really long discussion with my roommate, and we were talking about um, players like McDonald who played defenseman and forward in the AHL. It's really interesting. It's like who could be the NHL's next Taysom Hill, you know, the next five. <laughs> um, is there anybody who's done that recently? And like, how hard is it? It's a completely different position. And um, it seems like a lot of coaches frown upon it. It's just mm-hmm. kind of training your mind in a certain way. And there's just a lot of rules and um, spacing issues. I, I imagine it's, it's playing hockey at the end of the day, right? You're, you're getting out there and it's doing something you love, but the technicality pieces of it, um, doing something for, you know, this is your job, you're on defense and Hey, we're going to put you in another job. And I'm just wondering <laughs> if, if like anyone would ever even try that and having somebody be in different situations in the, you know, in a pro level like that. Uh, I, the interesting thing about that is there's two guys on the avalanche that you could argue kind of just do it right now in Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram. They are constantly engaged. They, they, I mean, especially Byram, uh, is always behind the net. And I'm thinking like, what are you doing back there? But they have, they have faith in him that, you know, he can get back on time. You see McCarr always going deep into the zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not, you know, they're not leaving the bench going out on the ice as a, you know, a forward. They're going out there, obviously, as defensemen first, but they are engaging, and they're engaging all the time. And it seems like the Avalanche, the Avalanche defensemen have free will to do that. And it, it, they all seem like they're on the same page. If you see a defender engaging, then someone needs to circle back and take his spot. And it hasn't failed them yet. So, But, you know, when you play a team like Vegas or St. Louis, will that style work? Remains to be seen. Well, you bring up Bo Byram, and he was the topic of conversation in the Wild Series. You know, we thought he'd just get a cup of coffee, and then that would be it. Um, yeah. But he's given the Avs 17 minutes every night. Um, a lot of great defensive plays, playing the body as a 19-year-old. Um, he's been very responsible. You don't hold your breath when he's got the puck. You feel good. Mm-hmm. He's making smart plays. Was it the smart move to keep him in the NHL, or do you think that he needs a little more time to develop? No, 100% keep him where he is right in the NHL. That's where he belongs. He's proven that he can keep up. The game isn't too fast for him. Um, he, he, you bring him anywhere else, and it's not going to benefit him. You know, you put him in the AHL, and and you know he he is going to be head and shoulders above everybody else that he's playing against. He might actually regress if you if you leave him down there for too long. Uh, so you, he needs to be challenged. He needs to be challenged in the pro level. And he seems quiet, confident, like cool, calm, and collected. And, you know, he's, he's, do, he, he's not blowing up the stat sheet, but all that stuff will come. I don't think they're, they're not concerned about that. You know, they, they, they get their scoring and they've proven it uh, in a plethora of other ways. And they are not leaning on him to carry them anywhere. But they're giving him a... A lot of minutes and uh, all, all of the extra stuff that we we want to see, like all the sexy stuff on the stat sheet, all that stuff will come. And and he, I mean, his first point, career point, that 
assist that he that he made to Rantanen, that was that was. Uh, how do you do that when you're when you're 19 years old playing in your second game ever? I don't know. No, he he's right where he needs to be. Um, I never thought you know when, once they 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 brought him up. Um, I never really. I, I this is exactly where I expected him to be. He he's a, a special player, definitely. It's interesting. He has, I think, one point in eight games, and Kalikar has <laughs> eleven or twelve points. Yeah, and it seems like the airtime is all going to Byram. It's so is, true. <laughs> which is a great thing, right? Yeah, you have yeah. you have these two phenoms, and I, I get the chills just thinking about these guys playing together at twenty five. You know, in in five years, what is what are these guys going to look like? They're just going to be absolute beasts. And uh, it's the future is bright on the blue line. And oh my god! And you sprinkle a couple, you know, Sam Gerrard, a Graves, and a couple other guys in there. I mean, we get this kid Justin Barron coming up. Yeah, we just drafted. So there's there's a lot to be happy about, and I'm I'm holding on to my my season tickets for sure. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Kale McCarr, he's got points in his last five games. He, he had a really nice goal and. I'm not really concerned about the him lighting the lamp. He's just such a good passer, such a good skater. He doesn't really need to do that. But him getting on the score sheet, um, you know, almost every night, it, it looks like he's skipping the whole sophomore slump thing. Would you say? Oh my God! Like it's not that 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 is not even a question for him. Um, I I did a segment on my show earlier uh, this past week about how Camelcar will will probably be you know in the top three of norris uh he will he will get some heart trophy votes he he is he's turning the tide of you know defenders really not getting a look at the heart i I think the last time a defender won the heart was like 20 years ago i think it was in the year 2000 2001 i think chris pronger won it that's right yes that's yep um and it's you know, it, it it goes to the the forwards, like just like the MVP and uh, you know, football go to the quarterbacks. You know, like it, it's they go to the scorers. Um, he's not he's never going to be up there with you know the McDavid's and McKinnons and Drysaddles of the world in terms of overall points because he's a defender. But his offensive mindset um, while playing phenomenal defense. Um, he's a different breed. I've never seen edge work like this guy has on skates. It is incredible. You don't know where he is going, uh, and just go see that clip that is making the rounds on social media against, uh, I don't even know who it was. It was Ryan Hartman on Minnesota. Just, I mean, just destroyed. I feel I, in a way like I don't feel bad for the guy because it's like that's going to happen so many times this season because you just don't know where he's going with it. Somehow, some way, he, he just seems like he gets pucks through all this traffic. He's a, a heady player. He's a smart player. And I think at the end of this year, like it may be, you know, he might take away votes from Nathan McKinnon for, for the heart and maybe that will prevent Nathan McKinnon from winning it. But, I mean, man, if he keeps playing this way, maybe not this year, Kale McCarr is going to win a Hart Trophy. I can almost guarantee that. Is it almost a good thing that Kale McCarr and Bo Byram are ahead in the attention lineup is, uh, than Sam Gerrard? Sam Gerrard is a sneaky good skater, a great, great puck possession guy. 
and he seems like he's pretty happy where he's at. He's got a good long salary. It's reasonable. Um, we know Sackick loves his his metrics and what he brings to the team. He's not huge, but it's pretty dang hard to get the puck from him. Is, yeah. it, is it nice that he's kind of a 3-4, and do you think he has an issue with it? Do you think he wants to be the guy? Uh, no, I think he knows you know, the respect he has within that locker room, and that's all he really cares about. I don't think he, he doesn't uh, come across as you know, a guy that – he he's demanding more respect in the media. I don't, or I don't, I don't think he cares about stuff like that. Um, he's got the respect in the locker room. Bednar clearly has the respect for him, anointing him the um, alternate captain for the last game when, when Eric Johnson was out. So um, they, uh, they, they love him. And yeah, I think with the attention, like you're saying, going to McCarr and, you know, even McKinnon, obviously, and Byram and Ranton and, and he's just there like doing his thing. And if you don't really watch avalanche games and you just kind of like look at stat sheets or look at, you know, who the, the big names are, you're never going to zone in on Samuel Girard. And I think part of it is because McCarr, like all of those guys, McCarr, uh, Landeskog, Ranton and McKinnon, Byram all drafted by the avalanche in high numbers, the like top five picks, obviously, with the exception of Ranton. I think he was 10. Um, but how did Sam Girard get to the Avalanche? He got to the Avalanche by a trade with Matt Duchesne. So Duchesne was the big name in that deal. And when Sam Girard came over, he had only played a handful of games for, it's not like he was a throw-in player, but you know, you, you really had to know what he could potentially become. And I talked to some Nashville Predator fans when that trade was made, and they were not happy that they gave up San Gerard. And now we're seeing why. Like, he is he is sneaky, sneaky good, um, and he just gets lost in the mix of all the big-name defensemen when he should be right up there, in my opinion. He should be absolutely right up there with the big names. Yeah, Nashville is the, uh, you know farm for defensemen it seems like they just they they know that's their bread and butter they pick them they develop them they trade them whatever but um yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great place to to get a defenseman from um, absolutely you brought up jared bednar and you know i think last week he eclipsed 150 wins as a head coach so congratulations to him um what were your initial thoughts when jared Bednar got signed on because honestly to me he i thought he was a fill-in guy i thought he was give this guy a year or two. I think he was with the Cleveland monsters of the AHL. He had some success. I think he won a championship down there and I I didn't really know what to think. Um, And he had an absolutely abysmal season with the abs hitting rock bottom. I was like, okay, well this guy's here just for maybe a year or two. And then that was fun while it lasted, right? Like (laughs) he's, he's gone. (laughs) Right. And then maybe look at like a Jim Montgomery or somebody else to, to coach the abs while they're rebuilding. But uh, Bednar seemed to really turn it around. Um, I remember there was one clip of McKinnon and him yelling at each other a couple of years ago. And, yeah. um, it seems like he's really gotten to bond with the guys. He seems like a player's coach. Um, his record 152, 139, um, zero and 36. So he's, he's about a, you know, 600 winning percentage. Uh, the guy's in a really good organization. He seems happy. He seems more comfortable. Um, is he a long-term solution for the Avs? Yeah, you know, now now it's uh, in a difficult spot because, you know, what are you going to do over the next three years? Now, now you're expected to win a cup. 
you know, that is the expectation. Let's just, you know, put our, you know, turn our magic eight balls over and let's say they don't. Uh, is it his fault? A lot of times it falls on the coach. So uh, if, if he can get one, if he can, if they can just get one of them, yeah, he's here for a long haul. If they can't, just say in the next three years, maybe by the time McKinnon's contract is up, if they can't get it by then, you really have to assess like what is the problem? Why why can the is it the coaching? Because the team, you know, on paper, the team is phenomenal, and on the ice, they're doing just fine. So it will be interesting to see as the years go on if they can and cannot win one, and who they place the blame on. I I really like Jared Bednar. I I. You know, I'm like you. I didn't really know anything about him when they hired him, being in the league that he was coaching. You know, but um, and I, I did give him a pass for that year. I never called for his job after that first year. He was hired a month before the season started. Patrick Waugh left them hanging high and dry, um, and you know they they had to fill that spot real quick. And I will never forget when they were looking for a coach. Uh, I don't remember where I read it, but Joe Sackick said, you know, we are not just going to fill in the spot because the season's around the corner. We, we're going to find the right guy and we are going to find a teacher. He specifically said we are going to find a teacher because they have young guys on the team and we need to find someone who can teach these guys. And he went out and got him and said, all right, let's see what you can do. And then it was an absolute dumpster fire. And I did. And I attributed that to he didn't have a lot of time with them. And that's a big, big deal. So let's give him another shot. I don't think Joe Sackick ever once considered firing him because I think he knew what he was stepping into. Um, and then since then, it's been all it's been all sunshine and rainbows. I think, yeah, you're going to have those run-ins with players. You know, you, you still have them. It, it's usually not on the bench like it was with Nathan McKinnon. Uh, but you're going to have those run-ins. But I think guys like him, I think the style he plays, that fast and – it's kind of a loose style of game. I think the players like that because they don't feel like they have to be in this spot. And if I'm not, you know, John Tortorella is going to tear my head off. It's not that type of atmosphere. And he's created this atmosphere of just go play your game. You guys are talented. We have the speed. This is the basic outline of how I want us to play. Follow it. But if you if you feel you need to adjust on the fly, adjust on the fly because he does it. Jared Bednar does it all the time. If he doesn't like how a line is playing in the first period, second period it's changed. So he can't have the mentality of, I can do it, but you can't. And he doesn't have that mentality. So I think it's a, a good uh, kind of like a environment he's created. And the players that he has have really taken to him. The one play that I associate, I think it was 2016. Was that the really bad one? Yeah, uh, the one play I associate with that season was Blake Como on the breakaway, passing it back. <sighs> yeah. That just plays like a. You know, man, <laughs> I had pushed that into the recesses of my mind. And, I just brought uh, it back. You, just, you did. You did what? That was. Oh man, <laughs> that was brutal. That was brutal. And and there was another one where like I, I remember who they were. And you could do this for any team technically, but th there's a video out there on YouTube of. Uh, that season and, and why they were so bad and just showing like the awful plays and they showed a play like that. And then they showed two avalanche players, nobody around them. They're the only two players in open ice and they collide into each other. 
And it's just like, what is going on with this team? But Well, you, you brought up a really interesting point about if they fail this year, then whose fault is it? And so last year, NHL Network and all the analysts were saying, this is the next up-and-coming team. Watch out for the Avs. And now this year, they're uh, Stanley Cup favorites, or Nathan McKinnon says, or whatever. Um, <laughs> I In two years where it's, you know, we had a half season last year and then the bubble, um, and there's an opportunity for the Avs to steal that one, didn't happen. And now this year, shortened season, another opportunity to kind of steal a Stanley Cup. But I, I don't know if if they – the window is definitely open, right? I don't think it was open last year um, completely. I don't think it was theirs to take. I think the window is open starting this year and then at the end of Nathan McKinnon's deal. But I just don't know if you can start uh, judging them for not performing right now. I, I think that there's a bigger plan. Um, I think <laughs> – you know, I, I've been a, a person who's been open about Gabe Landeskog uh, moving on after this year. I just don't mm. think it's a real smart move for, for the Avs to resign him. I get it. He's the captain. He's a fan favorite. But I've seen situations like this where that's a reason why you're not going to win in the future. And if you make a fan favorite move and sign him to a five-year deal, $8 million, you're going to be the Flyers. And that's going to be Claude Giroux. And you're going to be saying... You know, why don't we have the money to sign Cal McCarr or Bo Byram? Anyways, I kind of <laughs> went off on a tangent there, but, you know, yeah. is is there pressure for them to win this year? And, and do you feel like there's, uh, you know, heads are going to roll if they don't win? Uh, not this year, no, because this year is too just fluky with the, the virus and shortened season. And, you know, now you're not playing for a week. Um, th- this is not the end of the coronavirus hitting the Colorado Avalanche for this season. We're, uh, or we're not even a month into the season, and we've had all of these problems. So um, they will probably resurface again. So, but in the end, if if you win it, you win it. Whoever wins is is you know their names are going to be on the cup, uh, just like Tampa was last year. Nobody can take that away from them. So. Uh, yeah, you still have to go out and perform. If there's a season to be played and there's games on your schedule, you've got to play them. So in that aspect, I, you know nobody gets a pass, and that's including the Colorado Avalanche. But even having said that, uh, our heads going to roll after this year? No, I, I just I think it's just too much of a, a a fluky. Just you you don't know what to expect or prepare for um, type of season that I, I still think the avalanche will be there if we're if we get a full season in at this point who the heck knows what's going to happen um but if the if the season you know comes to fruition and is is able to finish out in full and someone is hoisting the cup and it's not the colorado uh, colorado avalanche and they finished where like where is a good barometer where you can say all right they didn't win it Considering all of the crap that went on this year, they still made it to what is a good season for them. Is it making it to out of that division, those divisional rounds into that final four with the final, you know, the the top four in every division? Is that it? I would think you'd have to go at least that far. If they don't make it out of the divisional round of playoffs, um, 
and again, this is just saying if once they get back to playing next week, uh, nothing bad happens the rest of the year. Uh, I would say like I, I want to see them at least go that far. But if, if stuff still happens, like if they have another break, if they have another pause because more they have more cases, that's just so much back and forth. Like they can't do anything right now. They can't practice together. They, they can't even be in the same rooms together. Like they can't do anything. This is like the pause when, when players went back to their countries, but they're not doing that. So if you're telling guys on multiple occasions, if this happens again for the Avalanche and they have to go another a second week, and we're just assuming this one's going to go one week. So let's just say they have another one. That's two weeks out of the year. It's two bye weeks you were given where you can't do anything hockey-related. And then you're expected to just go back on the ice and then perform like you were before. It's a lot to ask. It's tough. It's not easy. It's, it's doable. But it's tough. That's not a normal season. And that's not – these guys are repetitious. They're creatures of habit. And when you break that up in multiple times during the season, that, that's tough. That's tough on anybody. Speaking of creatures of habit, I I got a couple more for you, Chris, and it's yeah. it's been a pleasure having you on. This has been a good conversation. Love it. Um, I want to talk about Philip Grubauer. This guy has been playing out of his mind, probably the best hockey of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like he's established himself as the guy, and do you have more confidence than you've had in him in the past? Uh, and I say this lovingly, uh, not yet. Like he, he's, he's getting there, but you know, he's played what, uh, you got to say nine games. Yeah. He's, he's done. He's done nine games is nine games enough to overcome what he's been for the avalanche for the last two seasons. No, it's not. He's been phenomenal. He's been their MVP. Uh, if he continues this, he's going to be in the Vesna trophy, uh, category, but you, you need to see more out of him because his, his problem has not been play it's been injuries so that's what i want to see from him i I, i'm completely comfortable with philip grubauer in goal and i've said that since the end of last year when people were calling for sackett to get a goalie i didn't think they really needed one i i thought he was good enough um but the concern with him was health and you you know we were talking earlier about is it conditioning uh, you know, for him, the, the injury that took him out of the playoffs was he was just going to make a save. No one crashed into him like they did in the outdoor game. Like he just stuck his leg out to make a save and he was done. So is he durable enough? That is the big question with Philip Grubauer. And you can't make that distinction after nine games. You can't. He's played very, very well in those nine games. But, it, you know, the, the injury that he had in the playoffs, uh, it just takes one of those moves by him to be out again. And if he can complete a full season without pulling something, we'll have a different conversation. So I love the way he's playing. I'll tell you that. Just you got to keep it up. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. And and you notice that they don't want to play him back to back, even though they could have. <laughs> they're they're playing Hunter Miska and they're trying everybody else, but they're not trying to run him too hard. No. Um, <laughs> they they're they got to get him to the finish line badly. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that's, you know, you're asking a guy who's had a history of injuries to now really pick up the slack in a season where you're just playing games left and right. It's not a normal season. So, I mean, it's just – so, yeah, if you can get through this season with, with the way it's constructed, uh, fairly healthy when it comes to Philip Grubauer, I think you, you know – 
you might have to take a, a different look at him because you're asking more of him this year, especially if Francois out. Uh, I, I, I liked the duo that they had with the two of them. And now it's basically all on Grubauer, unless they go out and make a move, which I haven't really heard that they are. Um, so it's Grubauer. It's Grubauer going to... Bednar said it was going to be about 60-40, Grubauer to Francois before the season started. Um, it might have ticked up a little bit. In that, yeah, but you're right. They're not going to... It's not going to tick up to like... 90 10 it might go like 65 35 or 70 30 but uh now the pressure's on him and so far this year it's been two thumbs up and he's just got to keep that going it definitely makes it more interesting in a contract year as well um we don't oh know, yeah we don't know what's going to happen and say no. he's great and another team swoops in and says hey we'll we'll pay you six million a year then yeah then what do you do so i got i got one more for you and then we got some questions from twitter but uh the avs Lake Tahoe game against the uh, Vegas Knights is really sneaking up on us, especially uh, with this COVID break. And yeah. all I can think of is the utter chaos that was, l- you know, last year's outdoor game <laughs> <laughs> at the uh, Air Force Arena. Um, did you go Cadet, to it? Cadet Stadium. I did not. Okay. Uh, and I'm so glad I did. I had some, friends, <laughs> I had some friends who went and, you know, we were on Twitter trying to cover and retweet all the people uh, complaining about the parking and getting out of the stadium and no one could get into the stadium. It was just a, a nightmare, but I guess without any fans, you might not have those issues. But I, my, I, my question to you is the Lake Tahoe outdoor series boomer bust. Is this cool? Are you excited? Oh my God. Yeah. Like th- I, I really, really hope this happens. And I talked about it uh, on my show last week. And, you know, even though when, you know, the, it, we're, in the beginning of February and this game is towards the end of February. I, this game is really hanging in the balance right now. I know Vegas just came back to play, but anything could happen on their end. We don't know. They're, they're playing, you know, multiple teams between then and now, just like the avalanche should be. So anything can still happen. And just the way that the season has gone overall, not just for the avalanche, just with like, you know, players being added to the COVID list seemingly daily. Uh, I, I am crossing my fingers and toes and shoelaces and everything to hopefully play this game. I, I just think I'm a big like photography guy. So like the the images that could come out of this game uh, are as exciting to me as, as the game itself, because it's a beautiful setting. I don't think we've ever seen we've never seen anything like this. I, I even if this was a normal season with fans, I still would like to see the NHL do something like this. And if you can get a you know you know a few thousand fans, you're not going to get an arena you know football arena filled on a golf course. It's not going to happen. But just a smaller setting, you know, just the the lake right next to the arena. It's just this is one that the Avalanche are definitely lucky to be playing in. Um, and we're lucky to get it as hockey fans because all these outdoor games were canceled going into this season. So we didn't expect any of this. And to be thrown two games, one of which the Avalanche are included in, it's it, it, it just made for like, oh, this is great. This is going to be awesome. And then you add on top of the fact that they're wearing, they were going to wear the reverse retros at it, which was going to be the first time in this season that they're wearing the reverse retros. It Everything just added up to this is going to be great. And now it genuinely is hanging in the balance. And that was one of the things I said was they needed a do-over. 
because of last last year. And even though this one is not in Colorado or anything like that, just the Avalanche and outdoor games so far have not gone well. They they lost the one to Detroit, which was on my birthday, by the way. Uh, they, they lost that one in like the last minute. And then the one in uh, the Air Force Base, which, you know, you lost to the Kings and then the disaster with the traffic, which, by the way, my, my wife is from Colorado and she was in the military out there. And when it was announced, it was going to be at the Air Force Base. Like I told, I, I was excited. I'm like, hey, the Avalanche are going to play outdoors again and they're going to play at the, you know, the, the Air Force Base. And she looked at me and she's like, um, she's like, that's, I've been there. She predicted this like disaster of uh, chaos and parking and traffic long before the NHL even knew it was happening. So uh, I think everybody wants to have, number one, a avalanche outdoor win and uh, no problems with traffic. And you will definitely get no problems with traffic because nobody will be there. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my thing with outdoor games. Yeah. Great idea. The visuals are great. Yeah. But it, I, they never get good production quality out of these. It, it looks really cool. The stadium, you know, they're trying to go vintage and retro and everything. But I think this is their first opportunity to get some actually good camera angles. Mm -hmm. you're, you're worried about blocking everybody, right? There's always just like one center pan um, that, you know, is kind of uh, just not a good view for anybody in the stadium or, you know, anybody on TV. Yeah. But like there, there are not good views from if you go to the, these games. It's really just about being there. It's about the experience, whatever. Right. But, even when you're watching it on TV, the sound is the microphones aren't as good as stadiums um, just because there's no nothing bouncing the sound off, obviously. And I think this is a really good chance for them to do something cool with. I mean, look at all the cool camera stuff they're doing at the NFL with the high definition stuff that they're rolling out, the sky cams and make it a really, really cool experience now that there's no fans there. Like make it, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, with the backdrops and um, you know, this, the scenery out there really just dive into the production this year because there's probably not going to be another opportunity for you to, to really do that. No, no. And I, like, I agree with you about like, if you were there, um, I almost went to the one that was in Yankee stadium, uh, a few years back. I, I just, I had the opportunity and I just said, no, I, I do too much on new year. So I couldn't, I did, couldn't do it. But, um, yeah, being there is is probably like you said. I think it's just the experience of going, and you you go, and hey, there's just a hockey game being played, <laughs> and if I want to watch it, I'll watch it. But on yeah, the experience at home, um, I love it. And the, like one of the things that I really like is like you said, the sky cam. I I could watch an entire game. It's almost like you know, EA NHL sports. Uh, that's that camera angle of the, 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 the suspended camera kind of just following the puck up ice. Um, I love that. I, I wish that would be a normal camera angle for, for all games instead of like the side one. I love it. So I, I like them. Yeah. They, I mean, I, I think the, in almost any outdoor game, the appeal is the build up to the game. Um, it's almost like the Super Bowl. Like the buildup is the best, and then when the game comes, it's like, oh yeah, it's just another football game. Um, but I don't know. There's something different about just outdoor hockey. I wish. I I always thought once the NHL started doing it, I thought the NBA would follow suit. 
and do like some like street outdoor games, but they haven't done it. I don't know why. I think college did some games on a, a Navy ship. But, yeah, what was with that? I remember yeah, that, but not the pros. You, know, you said <laughs> another another thing that was uh, got me thinking is uh, the lead up to the game. You know, they usually have the TV series Road to the Winter Classic. That's right. And I guess they're not going to do that. And, and it's been on like Epics or some really weird uh, station recently. But I don't know if they're going to do it this year because the COVID thing. There's nothing to record. No, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it. That's true. I didn't even think about that. But. Okay. Is one, yeah, like no matter what it is, no matter what that show is or, or, or what teams are being played, like the production of it is good. It's just entertaining to watch. And exactly. we lo- we're losing stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you, do you feel like uh, – where do you think – do you think this season will get in? Or do you think that there's just – it's just way too many challenges ahead and it's not going to happen? I thought the NHL was really good last year in the bubble. And I thought that they would take it just as seriously this season. Yeah. But now that all these reports are coming out saying NHL is making these extra precautions. What do you mean extra precautions? Like we should have been doing this from the start. What were you doing before? Were you just uh, wanding people or just, hey, take your temperature and you're good? No, you guys weren't testing? Like what? what is this? So I don't really know. Um, I remember when the NBA did their bubble uh, in Florida there was some sort of 500 page manual and guys were getting kicked off teams because they were going to strip clubs to get chicken wings and <laughs> all of this stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to get it in, but they're probably going to do another bubble right for the playoffs. And yeah. I, I sure hope they do because I don't know. It, it seems like the NFL got all the way through. They had some issues. Um, baseball had a ton of issues. That, that was mm-hmm. a mess. Um, but who knows it, it's just with, with hockey, there's so many more players, right? You can, you can sub in guys and have the taxi squad, but it looks like if you're the Minnesota wild and Marcus Falingo gets COVID, your whole freaking team has COVID and you guys are shut down and, um, it's just unfortunate, but that's the nature of the, the virus right now. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. You're right though. Like the, I don't, and you follow me on Twitter. So like the one I got a kick out of was Try to separate in the in the locker room more. Try to stay six feet apart in the locker room. Okay, well that's good for the twelve minutes that we're in there, and then <laughs> we're right back out on the ice. Like you want to st- shoulder to shoulder on the bench, yeah. <laughs> so they they said at the beginning of the season that they had every scenario planned out, and uh, you have to ask yourself. Was this a scenario? Because it just seems like they're they're doing it on the seat of their pants and taking it as it comes and not getting ahead of anything. So I I don't know. Like I I am with everybody else. Like I I can watch a ho- I don't doesn't matter who it is. Like I said, like I will watch hockey every single day of the year. Um, so I want it to be around just as much as the next person. But this is gonna be a challenge. To be a big challenge. Let's hope we can get these guys some vaccines as well as us, and then we're we're golden. Hopefully, yeah. um, let's jump into some Twitter questions, and I'll let you go for the evening. Um, it's been a lot sure. of fun chatting with you for sure. Uh, so we got a question from Kyle O'Haran. Uh, what's the best chant in hockey? What do you think? Uh, I hate I hate to say this because they're, they're normally a division rival, uh, but the chants that come out of Nashville. Oh, I, I was afraid you'd are, say that. I, I hate saying that, man, but watching it, and you know why I hate it? 
It's because I'm jealous. Like that is a a great atmosphere to watch a hockey game. It really, really is. And it's almost like you're at like a soccer game. I mean, there are chants going nonstop. Um, and it's just it's just an environment. I think the, the Athletic did a an article last week or a couple weeks ago where they ranked um, the arenas. And there's like five different criteria that they're going off of. Vegas was number one and Nashville was number two, believe it or not. So and part of it was like all the chance that they do in that arena. It's it's envious. It really is. And I hate saying that. And it kind of pains me to say it, but you have to give credit where it's due. And they've created a really good atmosphere in Nashville. They had to. I didn't think hockey was going to work in Nashville, uh, but it has. And part of the reason it has is, yeah, you have to put a good team on the ice, but you have to make the experience enjoyable for the people that go there. And that's that's how they did it. So I give them credit. And you got to put the uh, opposing team's logo on a junker outside with a sledgehammer as well. Yeah. That doesn't hurt. Yeah. No. <laughs> second question from uh, from Casey. Well, I want to hear from you. Do you what, do you have any favorites? Like for any chance or what? you know, I answer that tweet with the um, I've been lucky enough to hear the We Want the Cup chant. Yeah, and uh, that was just it lifts the arm on your hair. It's just <laughs> the hair on your arm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it, that's a great hockey chant, and I think that. You know, the hashtag for the abs is go abs go, but I think that really comes from the Toronto scene. Um, go Leafs go. And I, right. I, I've always wanted to go see a game there. I've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame, but um, I, I've just been outside their arena. So um, going to a game in Canada or at the Bell Center in Montreal, I think they've probably got a lot of cool chants there as well. Yeah, definitely. Just with the history. Yeah. Cool. Um, second question from Cajun Packer. What's the craziest hockey ritual? So I got two examples. The Good. first, The first example, which I kind of um, linked a YouTube video was uh, Victor Hedman before every single game plays mm. Rus- Russian roulette with one of his trainers with this stick with his, the guy's fingers <laughs> hanging out. I, and the trainer is like doing it like he does it every day and whatever. And yeah, um, you know, it just, I think that's super crazy. Just watching that. Um, I wouldn't put my fingers <laughs> on there, but the, the other uh, ritual that I thought, and there are probably zillions of these, Um, you know, a lot of guys put on their skates a certain way, but it's not crazy. But the one thing that I thought was so interesting was apparently before every caps game, Alex Ovechkin, I'm not sure if you've heard this, eats a meal from a local Italian place and he gets, I think it's chicken Parmesan or some sort of pasta dish. But the weird thing about it is there was an interview with the owner and they're like, what's different about what Alex gets after uh, or before every game. And he says, well, he gets his pasta dish and he gets, uh, marinara sauce and Alfredo in the same dish. Oh, I was, no. I was like, oh, that is terrible. <laughs> and, and the owner of the shop's like, look, I don't ask questions. I just send the food. But <laughs> yeah, apparently he, he likes both. Wow. I See, that I had not heard. <laughs> what I did hear about Alex Ovechkin, and I don't know if this has been proven or not, uh, and I know, like, you know, I like to keep my show PG, and I'm sure you do too. But uh, I'll put it this way. Um Alex Ovechkin is good at scoring, if you can pick up what I'm putting down. And apparently he scores before before every game. Ah, I see. Before before he goes to the rink, uh, he takes part, if you know what I mean. So I don't know if that's been true. I don't know if anybody actually would, you know, own up to that. But that's the rumor about Alex Ovechkin. Um <laughs> So, you know, maybe he's getting some before he goes to the rink and then he gets some 
uh, chicken parm with some crazy sauce. <laughs> and he's good to go. So that, yeah, yeah that's interesting. Whatever, I, I, whatever gets that, that? one-timer going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, the, the headman thing is cool. Uh, and I've seen some videos on him. Like, yeah, he does the Russian roulette thing with the guy's fingers. But he does a lot more with that guy. Like, he just plays, like, odd games with him, like, real quickly. Um, the two that I like are both from goalies. One is uh, Henrik Lundqvist. He has a routine when he when he goes out on the ice, and it's the same routine over and over again. Yeah. Um, there's videos where there's split screens like four ways, and he just has his – he has like a figure eight thing, and he takes a shot, and then he comes back around, and he like you know stretches his arms the same. Everything is done. Exact, it's like you're hitting the reset button on him, and that's just the mindset of a lot of players and, and hockey players and – you know, if you do one thing wrong, that's like the OCD thing. Like if he didn't do that, you, you know, if you did an interview with him and he said, well, the one time I didn't do that, I let up like seven goals or something like that. So that's why it, it's, it's bizarre. Just YouTube it. Um, and it's pretty impressive. And, you know, the other one is from, you know, one of, one of our guys then Patrick Waugh and he had a lot of different rituals, but you know, the one that kind of, everybody talks about is him uh, talking to his goalposts and he would, he would talk to them uh, before, during and after the game. And, you know, before he would go into uh, an intermission, he would talk to them, say good period or whatever he says to them, but he would have full on conversations with his goalposts and to kind of basically help him out for the night. Um, but above that, the one that I love about Patrick Waugh was when goalies do their thing and they're, you know, shaving the ice in front of the, in, in the crease and everything. Most of them push that ice into the goal. He pushed it around the outside into the back because that was his goal and he didn't want anything in it, including his own shaved ice. <laughs> That's Patrick Law. I love that. Yeah. Really good examples. Yeah. Um, love it. Last question we got from David Nola, 985 on Twitter. What are the odds that we see Alex Newhook at the end of this season? So Alex Newhook was a first round pick um, the same year Bowen Byron win. He just went um, with the Avs selection at, I believe, 15 a couple years ago, currently playing at Boston College, the number one team um, in college hockey right now. So, Chris, do you see uh, Alex Newhook getting a, a shot maybe a couple games at the end of the year if he decides to come out after two years? Uh, I think he's gonna, definitely going to come out after two years. I, he, he said he was going back this year, which he did, which um, <clears throat> he's been incredible. I I don't want to say it's 0%, uh, but if he does – man, this is tough because we don't know where the avalanche are going to be. Um, and if those games at the end of the year are for seeding, because you want to be number one in this division – you know what I mean? You you want to be the number one. You want to be number one any year, but you want to be the number one seed in this division because the team you're going up against in that four seed is going to be a team that generally probably would not be there in a playoff spot between Minnesota, Anaheim, L.A., Arizona. Who am I missing? I think I'm missing one more. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't really matter. Like those are the teams that are going to be filling in that fourth spot. So you want that number one seed. So if it's coming down to the last handful of games of the season and those games are 
you know, they really mean something. Are you going to put Alex Newhook in there? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, like he, he's not gonna. He's. They're not gonna put him in for the playoffs. I, I can't imagine that they would do that. Um, and now the the minimum games played to burn that ELC has gone down from ten to seven. So, is it possible and feasible they throw him in there because of injuries? Uh, when his college career, or not the college career, but the college season is over, um, and there's injuries, and they need to fill a spot, that might be true. Like even it wouldn't matter in that case if if it is at the end of the season and they really needed, you know, they they needed to win those games, but they didn't have the bodies for whatever reason, COVID or injuries. Uh, then yeah, then maybe you do slot him in there. But if everybody's healthy, uh, no, I don't I don't see Alex Newhook taking that spot so it, it, it's kind of maybe that's you know playing both sides of the coin and answering the question saying yes and no it would it's definitely situational uh i don't see it happening this year but even having said that uh dude's gonna be a big part of this team going forward yeah so you're saying that alex newhook it's impossible for him to go to the frozen four and then go into his first NHL game and then score on his first NHL game. That, that, that doesn't really happen, right? Nobody does that. I mean, what do you thought? That, that's blasphemy. Nobody does that. Oh, wait, no, yeah, one guy did do it, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't see it happening. I don't. I don't. I, I, I think he's a, I mean, he's, he's a forward. Is he, is, is he going to break into, like, who's he going to take time from? I don't know. Like, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it would have to be, uh, injury prone or they just don't they don't have enough guys and they have to bring somebody in but I'm not concerned I mean even if they do do it they're you know there's no way that they're going to uh, he's going to play seven games I don't see that happening at all I don't I don't but um, yeah he's also coming off a, a shoulder injury um, from the world juniors that's true I didn't think about that yeah and uh, I think he's playing he played tonight so I think he's getting back to it but yeah, we'll see. I think it, he's going to have his own his hands full in, in college. Um, I think his team's going to go pretty deep, and then maybe he gets out, and there there are a few games to play. And but I I'm with you. I think they kind of just stash him, get him back to 100, percent um, and then we'll we'll see him in training camp yeah. next year. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not necessary. Like like Makar was, they were the eighth seed going in, and uh, I think they needed him. And Makar was coming on like he's he was. Uh, not that new hooks, not, but um, you know, Makar was coming off of what, what, what's the awards that he was winning in, in college. I can't remember what it was. Hobie Baker. The Hobie Baker. There you go. Where new hook might be involved in that. Who knows? But it's just, it's a different, it's a different team now than it was when Makar came in. Um, and I don't think they just, I don't think they are, are pushing that they need him. It's like an emergency situation where let's, let's get Alex Newhook in here and put us over the top. I don't think it's it's a different situation. All right. With that being said, that was one of the fastest hours I've ever had on a podcast. And, Damn, man. You know, yeah. When, when the conversation's good, time flies and you're having fun. Absolutely. Um, but everybody, if you're not already following uh, Chris on Twitter, make sure you follow him, L-O-P-N underscore Avalanche. And make sure that you're subscribed to his podcast, the, the Lockdown Avalanche podcast. Really great daily updates. And um, this has been a lot of fun, Chris. And uh, we'll definitely have to do this again. Oh, anytime, man. I, I love talking hockey and I love talking avalanche hockey. So time and place and, and we'll do it again. Perfect. Thanks again. All right. Thank you for downloading and supporting us. 
You can follow Chris on Twitter at LOPN underscore Avalanche. And make sure you're subscribed to the Locked on Avalanche podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Rink Colorado. A very special thanks to our sponsors, Puck Hockey. With the promo code The Rink, you can save 10% on all purchases at puckhockey.com. That's P U C K H C K Y.com. And until next episode, see you on the rink.